It's good, good. Hey, hey, good morning. Hey, uh, we're gonna be picking up right in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. If you have a Bible with you, and if you forgot your Bible, there's some in the back, and that's one of those new habits we're trying to do as a church, is actually bringing a Bible with us and then getting something to write with, uh, because I prayed about it, and God is fine with you writing in his book. Uh, you can write in the margins. Like, I wanna remember that. Like, like, months from now or years from now, you come back going, what did that mean? Oh, yeah, and it's written out there. And so we're gonna hit a lot of those today, okay? So, so again, there's free Bibles in the back if you don't have one or get one on your app. Um, so this is week two of our True North series, which is really kind of a series, part of a series of series where we're working our way through one book of the Bible. It's called First Peter, where um, he writes two letters, but uh, Peter writes to a group of Christians. Uh, they're, they're new in their faith, and they're scattered throughout the part of the world that we now refer to as modern-day Turkey. And the reason he's writing them this, these two letters is that they're feeling, and you can relate to this, they're feeling the same pressures that a lot of us are experiencing today in that, that what, they, what they now believe about God and about God's word, uh, about Jesus, about life, about marriage, about parenting, about money, about sexuality, about, about what's good and what's evil, what, what they now believe, it, do, it doesn't feel like it fits in their culture anymore. And they're feeling it, and when they go off to work or their kids are going off to school, it's causing tension in their, in their friendships because when they, and some of us, again, we've been there, we understand, when we made a decision to become a disciple, a fully devoted follower of Jesus, the way that we're now choosing to live our lives, it feels like it doesn't fit in this world because it doesn't. It doesn't. As a matter, Peter calls that out in the, in the opening sentences of this letter. He, he writes to what he calls elect, or you're chosen by God, but you're exiles. You, you live in a world that's not your home. He's writing to them and he's writing to us too. Our, our home is in, in the kingdom of God now and, and, and eternally. But while that's true, all right, we, that is our home, all right, we still live in this world for the foreseeable future. So the book of First Peter is about how to live in a world that's gonna become more and more intolerant and hostile towards Jesus and his people. How can you have hope in a world like that? That's what this letter's about. He reminds us things like this. We've covered this over the last six, eight weeks. He reminds us that Jesus is currently alive. He's not dead. He's alive right now and refers to him like we just sang about. He's our living hope. And while everything in this world eventually, it, it dies or it breaks down or it fades away, we have a promise that Jesus won't do that. He will never leave us. He reminds us that when we're going through suffering in this world, and we will, I don't care how much faith you have, you will suffer in this world, right? While it may be painful, and while it might be heartbreaking, our hope must hold on to Jesus, and he promises. He promises, even in our suffering, he will see us through that. He'll even use those sufferings to teach us and to teach the people around us that Jesus, we have to hold on to Jesus. He's the only one. Jesus, Peter reminds us that we must also hold on to one another, not because when you become a Christian, we're all supposed to be buddies together. I don't like some of you, I'll be honest with you, but, 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 but something bigger is at play. And you, some of you, never mind. Anyway, but, but because we're, we have something bigger at play here, we're all a work in progress. None of us are a finished product yet. We're all dependent upon the same grace, the same spirit to save us, to heal us, and to transform us. This is what we all have in common. We share a common savior, and his name's Jesus. And that alone unites us. So we, we, we have to quit giving up on one another so quickly. Then last week we began chapter two. If all that stuff that they, we learned in chapter one is true, then we must kind of take an inventory and take a look at our lives, each one of us individually, and then corporately together, us. And then we need to look at our lives and we need to put away, that's the, the phrase we looked at last week, we had, we had to put away some of the this world ways that we used to engage in before we started following Jesus. We used to do these things, but 
now that we're following Jesus, I don't want that in my life anymore. Here's what we covered last week. We have to put away things like malice and deceit and hypocrisy, envy and slander. And if you wanna know what that means, you go back and listen to last week. We're gonna put those away. And instead, the metaphor that Peter uses is like a newborn baby craving like, like pure milk. He says, in the same way as followers of Jesus, we have to crave spiritual nutrition, spiritual milk, which is the word of God, which is Jesus. It always comes back to this. We've got to know the word of God. Just like a growing baby, we must be in God's word every day. We're going to talk about that. And, and the more we're into God's word, the more God's word get in, get, gets into us. If we're having any hope of, of growing up in our faith from baby, I'm not sure what Jesus said is right and true Christians, and we all start there to becoming fully mature, devoted followers of Jesus, if we're gonna be able to stand up under the pressures that this world is gonna throw at us every day at work and at school, or if we're gonna be able to lead our families and provide for our kids and protect our children from those messages that are bombarding them every day from every direction, if we're gonna be able to figure out our identities, like who we are, our purpose, our mission, even our sexuality, which is God alone gets to be the one that decides that, right? It will be in direct proportion to how much we know the word of God. And if we don't know the word of God and what Jesus said is right and true about himself, about God, about you, about her, about him, about them, whatever, if we don't know the word of God, then this world will continue to take more and more and more of what God has entrusted to you, take it away from you, and steal it and kill it and destroy it, and all you'll be left with is a bunch of a pile of stuff that can't help or satisfy, because it dies, it breaks down, it fades away. One, one last thing, and then we'll jump into chapter two again. Um, I, I am blown away by the number of messages uh, online and social media and emails from parents and students over the last week. Uh, good, good, good messages. Parents who are leaning into God's word, who are having spiritual conversations with their children about some of the stuff we covered last week. I, I've heard from parents who are showing up at uh, their schools and school board meetings and firmly and lovingly saying to the leadership, I'm not okay with what you're forcing my child to be exposed to. Hey, hey parents, you're making a difference. Keep going. Keep going. But it all comes down to this. We've got to know God's word. We have to stand confidently in God's word because new things become possible when we know God's word. And that's what I want to look at today. If, if last week the theme was it's time to grow up, all right, today it would be it's time to build up. God is, has a building plan, if you want to call it that, that has been in the works for 2,000 years and counting, and now it's our turn. Right? Abraham had his turn and Peter had his turn. Now it's, it's our turn to be a part of what God wants to build. So we're in 1 Peter chapter two. We're gonna pick up in verse four. So get ready to write and underline and all that kind of stuff. So as you come to him, and him is Jesus. So as you come to Jesus, and then this is the description of Jesus. Jesus is a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. As you do that, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And that's a lot, so I'm gonna break it all down. That's what we're gonna do today, right? First, that, that first thing, as you come to him, as you come, so Peter is making an assumption here that you're coming to him, all right? You're coming to him like, like every day you're pursuing him and trying to grow your relationship with Jesus. So as you come to him, the other thing Peter is teaching us is, is this, as you come to him, you, have, you gotta have this like posture, like this attitude. You have to keep in mind who it is that you're coming to, this Jesus. So as you as you're, as you're come to Jesus, you're, you're coming to, a, look at this, a, a living stone rejected, and that's really important, rejected by God, but chosen and precious. 
And I, I think this is really, really something important uh, that, we, that we tend to forget about. See, see when, we, when you become a Christian, when you uh, decide to follow Jesus, all right, when, when you made that decision, you, you were making a decision to follow someone who was rejected by almost everybody that he encountered. I mean, think about it. He was deserted by his closest friends in, in, his, in his darkest hour. That's who we're choosing to follow. He was executed for crimes and sins that he didn't commit. Peter's reminding us, we follow a leader who said and did things that most of the people in his life, at times even his own family, said, I don't want anything to do with that. You're, you're crazy. I mean, even some people violently opposed him. That's our leader. I mean, I, I hear Chris say this all the time. I just wanna be the hands and feet of Jesus. Really? It's a great song, but do you remember what they did to the hands and feet of Jesus? They nailed him to a cross, all right? That's okay, right? They, it, it, listen, when Jesus came into the world to save and redeem the world, most, most people rejected him. They didn't like, just buy it. Most people rejected it. Jesus made his home in this world, but this world was not his home either, which Peter points out by using the same word to describe Jesus as he did in the opening lines of the people he's writing to. He calls us God's chosen exiles, but then he goes on and says, and we're following God's chosen, rejected, living, because he's not dead, living stone. So as you come to Jesus, the living stone, he says this, as that happens, you yourselves, and he's talking to us, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. I'll leave that up there. Now, I'm gonna kind of nerd out on you a little bit on sentence structure and, and tenses, but that's what you pay me to do. But, but if you look at what Peter's writing, he says that we, each one of us individually, God is doing something. He's combining us together, plural, and, uh, and, and we are the building materials. We, we are, and he's talking about each one of us individually together, and, and, and he's building that We're not building anything here. Somebody else is building something out of us. What is God building us into? Into what? A spiritual house. Another word for a spiritual house would be a temple or, or, or a church. So together, God is building a spiritual temple out of you and me. And wait, wait, there's more. This, one, this one's gonna make you kind of weird out. Look at this, all right? To be a holy priesthood. So not only is God building us into a spiritual temple, he's building us up so that we can each and together become a holy priesthood. I don't know if you described yourself on a piece of paper, if you would put, I'm also a holy priest. Anybody? Like look at the person next to you, like you're a priest. <laughs> She's, anyway, right, right? You're, that's, what, that's what Peter says God is building us into. Why, why, why would God want holy priests? What's the job of a holy priest in a temple? He goes on, he says this to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We're offering something to God that's acceptable to God because whatever it is we're offering or sacrificing, giving to God is made possible because Jesus made it, he opened access to God for us when he redeemed us. Now listen, like we're, we're, we're doing something for God through Jesus. I, I've heard people say this all the time. A lot of us have said this out loud, like how are you trying to live your life? And a lot of us respond this way. I'm just trying to be a good person. You've heard that, right? I'm just trying to be a good, a good person. And that's, that's great, go for it, right? But here's the reality. Anything that you and I try to do good in this world on our own or out of ourselves in order to impress God or to prove to God or prove to other people or even prove to ourselves that, that we're good people or that we're good enough people, right? The Bible word for that is we're trying to, to prove that we're righteous, that we're right. 
that we're good. But when you try to manufacture your own righteousness, like on your own, it's called self-righteousness. And I won't go into the super gross metaphor the Bible uses for that, but according to the prophet Isaiah, all our good efforts are like filthy rags to God. Because when we try to be good people out of something inside of ourselves, that's about us, not God. But because of Jesus or through Jesus, anything that we do good in this world to one another or towards God, and it's done in a response to, I understand the grace that God has given to me through Jesus Christ by grace through faith. These things God accepts as spiritual sacrifice of worship. Now we're gonna come back to that, but let's, let's keep reading. Then I'll tie all this together to the say yes thing that we're doing, all right? So, for it stands in scripture, so now Peter's gonna quote the Old Testament, right? Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him, that's important, you wanna underline him, all right, will not be put to shame. So, so, so Peter's quoting from the prophet Isaiah, who quotes God, and God refers to, he's doing something, he's, he's building a physical temple on a mountain, Mount Zion, in the middle of Jerusalem. Still there, I was there a couple months ago, right? So that's where the temple was. It's, a, it's the center of salvation, it's the place of worship for the Jewish people at that time. Except when Peter quotes Isaiah, he changes it a little bit. See, in, in, in the original, in Isaiah, God says this, whoever believes, in other words, whoever believes that whatever happens in this temple, the sacrifices and things like that, if you put your faith in that, you'll be saved. That's what God said. Peter makes it clear, the cornerstone, it's no longer a building in Jerusalem. It's a person. Peter says whoever believes in, not it, says believes in him, will not be put to shame. So God is building something new. He's building a new temple, all right? And, and the, the cornerstone, and anybody who's a builder here, you get, get there, right? That's the first stone that's laid, and then all the other stones kind of lean against that or are squared up to that. For, for, for God's building here, that's Jesus. And we are those other stones that God is using to build a new temple, a church, from which we, his priests, can offer spiritual sacrifices. And this, this next part's cool, all right? So he says this, so the, what's the word, the what? The honor, that's important, right? So Peter says, all that, the honor is for you who believe. And Peter calls it an honor. Why, why would he do that? And here's why. It's like, because God could do anything he wants any way he wants to do it, because he's God. And God gives you and me the honor of being used and built up by him into something new that he's gonna use to change the world. That's what he wants to do through this place. Not because of something we did that was good, that we manufactured, but because Jesus made it possible. We looked at it in the first series. He, first of all, he caused us to be born again. We didn't born ourselves. He caused us to be born again and to be saved, and now we are living stones, and God is causing us to be built up into something new. Each one of us is gonna be part of his temple and a part of his priesthood. Because we believe, we put our faith and trust in Jesus. But the sobering part of this is that this isn't happening for everybody on the planet, just, just believers. Right, keep reading this, okay? Well, what about the unbelievers? But for those who do not believe, the stone, and it's the same stone he just talked about, that the builders rejected, so some people rejected it, has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They, the unbelievers, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. And all that means is this, the very same cornerstone, the very same Jesus that a person could build their life upon into something great by simply building their life on him, actually is viewed by some people as, Jesus offends me. And they trip over him. And then their life falls apart. Not because Jesus is not available, but because he is available, they just rejected him. See, 
you might just pray through this and see, see if you can land here, right? If a person who knows that there's a Jesus doesn't have Jesus, it's not because Jesus has made himself unavailable to them. They don't have Jesus because they don't want him. His life, his truth, his way is offensive to them. Jesus actually offends me. He trips me up. So I don't want him. They reject him. But for those who do believe, those who are coming to Jesus, God is building us up into a spiritual house to act as a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus. Now, that was a mouthful. What's that mean? That's a lot. What are the spiritual sacrifices that we are offering to God as priests in his spiritual house? What can we offer to God? And here's the church answer. I'll give you my whole heart. I'll give you my life. Good for you. What does that mean? It makes wonderful songs. We sing songs like that. God, you can have my heart, all right? But how, how, how would you know? How would you know if somebody had given somebody their whole life? Because they sing a song? I, God, you have my whole heart. How, how do you know, all right? It's pretty vague. It's pretty vague. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna bust some Christian bubbles here, all right? Did you know the phrase, ask Jesus into your heart? It's not even in the Bible. So what, right? No, now I get it. With, without the presence of Christ in a person's life, nothing will ever change. But right there, what I just said, that's the clue. Look at this. If the Holy Spirit of Christ is in a person, then the person's life will change. If Christ lives in a person, your life will change. Well, what, what do you mean by that, right? And I'm not in charge of the pace of change or what change looks like for you, but I'm, how about this, all right? If you asked me if I had given my heart to Robin, my wife, and I said yes, there should be 38 years plus of examples of what, what it looks like, right? I mean, if my answer was, hey, did you give your heart to Robin? And I'm going, yeah. I gave Robin my heart 38 years ago. But if you actually looked at my life, for the most part, you saw that Jim still lives like a single guy. I show up at home when it's convenient. I pay the bills if I have leftover money. I've cut way back on dating other women. You know, so you would look at me and you would go, that's what you call, that's what you call, you know, a, a changed life, giving your heart? And I'm like, yeah, don't judge me. That's what, that's what we always say, right? But write this down. This, this will probably be the only thing you remember. Write this in the page of your Bible even. It's so philosophically deep. Look at this, ready? Sacrifice involves sacrifice. Boom, mic drop, walk away, right, right? Sacrifice, by definition, involves sacrifice, right? right. One, one time, uh, back in the Old Testament, there's a king named David, and he, he needed to make a sacrifice to God, and one of his friends says, well, I'll give you the space, I'll even give you the animal for free, now you can go sacrifice, and David's response was, no, I insist on paying you for it, I, here it is, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God, burn offerings, here it is, that cost me nothing. A sacrifice cost you something, and if if it doesn't cost you anything, it's not a sacrifice. You haven't sacrificed a thing, meaning it has value, and to give it or use it for God means you won't be able to give it or use it for something else you had planned with it. It's a choice you make. It's a value statement. I heard a good definition of sacrifice. I don't know who said it, so I'm gonna claim it. I came up with this definition. It goes like this. Sacrifice means this, to lay something down so that you can pick up something better. I can't have both. All right, I have to choose. I'm gonna lay that down so I can pick this up. Sacrifice means that you choose the one that you think has more value at the cost of letting go of the, the, the less valuable one. So, so in God's word, 
right? That's what we're trying to get to know. What are examples of those kind of sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus? And by through Jesus are demonstrations, and I would even say this, what, what's what evidence of a truly saved, changing person who is pursuing being a fully devoted follower of Jesus? What, what are those markers, those sacrifices you look and going, well, they're running after it. I'm gonna give you three or four, and, and then, then we're gonna talk about the say yes thing, okay? So a guy named Paul is writing to some people who live in the city called Rome, and this is chapter 12, and he says this, therefore, and therefore is a reference to the first 11 chapters, where he just lays out some cool stuff. Like we can go right before, because of Jesus, we can go right to the throne of God while we were still sinners, before we changed the thing. You know, Christ demonstrates his love for us, that, that he died for our sin before, before anything changed. And I mean, it's just 11 chapters, it's just awesome. Then he says, therefore, if all that's true, if you understand that, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of all that, in view of God's mercy and his grace and his love, if you understand that, do this. Offer your, what's the word? Bodies, not heart, not light, right? Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So as followers of Jesus who are on the receiving end of so much from God, love and grace and mercy, understanding what Jesus has done for us and is still doing in our lives today, our response is to offer not just our lives, not just our hearts, all right, but our physical bodies as living sacrifices, not dead ones. And this is important. See, I've heard people say this all the time, you know, if we got invaded or something like that, I would die for Jesus, I would die for my faith. Good for you. I'm not sure God's asking that of you this week, right? No, while I'm still alive in this body, I'm gonna live for Christ, and whatever I do, I'm gonna do it through my physical body. And as we do that, right, we're gonna sacrifice, we're gonna lay some things down, certain behaviors and activities that if we didn't have a relationship with God, we would do different stuff with our bodies. We're, we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna sacrifice, set aside certain behaviors that our bodies want. And everybody else's body seems to be going for it, but we're different, right? That we feel, that we crave, that we desire, and we're gonna do it because we wanna pick up and pursue something better. You never thought about it before. God says, use your body to worship me. Not just your heart, not just your songs, your body. And, let, and I taught this as a youth pastor for years, but I'm not just talking about sexuality. Let's be thinking about all the ways that we live out our lives in our physical bodies, what we do with our bodies, what we put in our bodies, what we do to another person's body, how our body spends the time that it has in this physical world. So the first thing I was looking at is our physical bodies, all right, put those on the altar. Then Paul goes on and says this, do not conform to the pattern or the systems or the, the, the ways people do things of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Of your mind, okay? Then, once you have a new mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And there's so much in those verses I wanna come back to, maybe do a whole series on them, but for day, today, here's what God's word is saying to us, right? What we do with our physical bodies comes back to what our minds are set on, right? What, what we do with our hands and our bodies and what we put in our bodies, what we do, it's all based on how we're thinking, what are we thinking about? And we covered this a few weeks ago. Um, this is the part that makes us like God. We are free agents out there. We get to choose what we set our minds on. We get to choose what we think about all day. And we are doing, or we need to do whatever we need to do so that our minds will be transformed and made new so that we can discern and understand what God's will is for our life, which is the number one question I get from people. I'm trying to figure out God's will for my life, which will be lived out in your physical body in a world that's not your home. You following me? 
So one way to pursue this sacrifice, I gotta think like Jesus thinks so that my body does things that are holy and pleasing to God is I have to put my, and we have to put ourselves in the best places and the best environments for those things to actually happen, for our minds to kind of get, our, get wrapped around who God is and what he wants, what his will is for our life. What is that for you? Hold on, we're gonna come back to that, okay? So that's the first in our bodies and our minds. What, what else? What, is, what else is an acceptable sacrifice that's mentioned in God's word as being an example of a living stone who's being built up into a spiritual building? So we're gonna talk about this, and I warned you last month. I'm gonna talk about it next month, and today's the day. J- Jesus said, who said it? Jesus, don't. E- email Jesus if you don't like this part. Okay, so Jesus said the biggest indicator of who or what has your heart is where you spend your treasure. And by treasure, he means your money, right? It's right out of the Sermon on the Mount, my favorite three chapters in the Bible. This is Jesus talking, he says this. So, so don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, and we'll unpack this in a second, where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, underline that, right? Where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And let's say these last lines together, one, two, three. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And you believe that, right? And to be, make, make, make clear, right? Treasures in heaven is not talking about the place we go after we die. I was taught that as a kid. I was actually taught this, it's very manipulative, but I was actually taught that the more good stuff you do for God here on earth, the bigger mansion you'll get in heaven. Anybody else? Yeah, it's manipulation, it's not, it's not true, okay, right? So, and we can talk about that another day, that's not in the Bible. Heaven here, laying up for yourself treasure in heaven, heaven here is talking about financially investing in the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of the heavens, it's called in other places, which Jesus describes as what God wants to do in this world on a spiritual basis. We pray in the Lord's Prayer, bringing about what God wants done on earth as it is in, in the heavens, right? Not somewhere else, in people's lives, Investing in the spiritual kingdom of God, of, of, of heaven, is, is partnering with God with what he wants to do in people's lives in this world. See, Jesus taught, who? Jesus, God, email, I don't know his email, but pray. All right, right. Jesus taught that the biggest indicator of how much of your heart you've turned over to him is where and what you spend your money on, because your heart and your money are always in the same place. We all know that's true. I'm really into that sport, I spend a lot of money on it. I'm really into this girl. <laughs> I started to say chick, but I, can you say that anymore? Anyway, uh, I'm really into this girl, and I spend a lot of money on her. I'm really into my kids. I spend a lot of money on them. I'm really into, right, this hobby, because you love it, right? He gets really clear a couple sentences later. He says, no one can serve two masters, and we've all felt that. What am I gonna do, right? For either he will lo- hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. This is just true. He cannot serve both God and money. See, see, Jesus, and I taught this so many times, Jesus knows that his biggest competitor for your faith, who you believe will actually take care of you when life gets hard, is not the devil. That's not his big, right? It's money. Money is his biggest competitor for our faith, which is why we hoard money. Just in case something happens, I need to know I'm gonna be okay, or I spend it on something else I love more. Jesus says the same thing that Peter taught last, a couple weeks ago, because Peter was right there when Jesus taught this. Jesus just said, don't spend your money and all on, on, on stuff that gets destroyed by moth and rust and people can steal it. Peter said it this way, don't put your hope in things that die and break and fade away. It's the same thing. Later on in the sermon, Jesus says, well, here's what we should do instead. How about this? Seek first the kingdom of God. And what he's talking about, he's still talking about money there. Make sure that you financially invest in eternal kingdom investments. Do that first, and after that, God knows what you need, and he'll, you can trust him for it. 
So we got one more. So we covered our bodies, our minds, and our money as spiritual sacrifices offered to God. I'll give, you, I'll give you really quickly one more of the biggest examples of a spiritual sacrifice by a truly devoted follower of Jesus. Same guy named Paul. He's writing to some people who live in a town called Philippi. So the book's called Philippians. It's chapter two. If you're looking for a good chapter of the Bible to read this week, Philippians two is gold. It's just so good. In the middle of it, he writes this. He says, so have this mind among yourselves. And the mind he's talking about is the mind of Jesus. So have Jesus' mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself by taking the form of a, what's the word? Servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on, on a cross. So, so what Paul's writing is you gotta think like this. So according to God, serving God and serving God's people in God's church is an act of humble, obedient, spiritual sacrifice that God accepts. So let me wrap this up and then we'll make an application. Sacrifice number one, if you got lost, put yourself in a position so that your mind can be renewed by the word of God so that it makes a difference in how you live out your life in this body as a spiritual sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That's the first thing, right? Sacrifice number two is seek first, prioritize first, and invest financially in the kingdom of God. Two chapters after that, Paul writes a thank you note to the people who live there because they had sent him some money, and he called that money they sent him a spiritual sacrifice, pleasing and acceptable, not to Paul, but to God. Like that sacrifice is for God. Financial sacrificial giving is an act of worship. And then sacrifice number three is, if you have the mind of Christ, then you imitate Christ by humbling yourself and obediently serving others so the mission of Christ and his church to restore people back to God can take place. So, say yes. This is Say Yes Weekend, and it's gonna exist for the next two or three weekends after this, all right? You can say yes to several challenges and opportunities which will help prepare you to take on better your role as a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices in a spiritual building called God's church. Locally, we call it Flatirons. And I'm not talking about a building or the campus buildings. I'm talking about the people of Flatirons are being built into a temple. Follow me? So sacrifice number one, put yourself in a position to have your mind renewed so that your physical life reflects the good and perfect will of God. What's the say yes part of that? How about this? Say yes to attending and participating in Sunday worship every week at one of our campuses if you live within driving distance. Now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pound this one, all right? And I know I'm preaching to the choir because I'm preaching to a room full of people, so, but you know, you'll, you'll get this, all right? All right? Here's, here's what I mean by that, right? Bring your physical body, get it out of bed, and your physical bodies of your kids to one of our physical campuses every week as an act of sacrificial worship, right? David writes several times in the book of Psalms, I will bring a sacrifice of praise into the, into the house of the Lord. When you show up physically, all right, and join hundreds of people or thousands of other living stones praising God, it is a spiritual sacrifice, get this, that God accepts, he likes it. He, he says he enjoys it, all right? Coming together as a church to worship and, and learn is God's idea, he, want, he commands it. Right? I'm not saying that God doesn't accept your, your worship from your couch in your apartment in Toledo. I'm not, all right, I, I get it, right? He just specifically mentions, I want my people to come together in my house. And also, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm gonna talk to the online people really quick, all right, right? When, when, when you're not in a room with other people in worship and learning God's word, all right, you're missing out on something really good that cannot be replicated sitting at home al alone. Something happens when we're together, 
It just does. And listen, online is better than nothing. And it came about because of COVID. But it is not as good as being together, learning and praising God together. So church family, right? Temple. I'm gonna ask you, and this is applied to people in the room and people on the other side of the cameras, all right? I'm gonna ask you to change and rearrange the normal pattern of your life and say yes to beginning to physically attending one of our campuses as the regular, ongoing pattern of your life and then use online when you just simply can't get there that week. So some experts say that post-COVID, uh, most Christians, the typical Christian attends a physical church campus one out of every four weekends, right? And that's some of us. I just want, I don't wanna be a typical Christian. Typical Christians haven't changed the world at all, right? I wanna be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. So say yes to being at a campus as the regular part of your weekly life. Make not being here the exception. But normally, we're here, okay? So the second part of putting yourself in a, in a position to have your mind renewed so that your physical life out there reflects the will of God would be this. Say yes to getting in or joining a small group. This is a big deal. We learn in rows, like we're doing this right now or we're through cameras around the world, right, right? But nothing will help you grow and deepen in your faith more than processing and unpacking and then wrestling through what God is teaching you more than being in a room or being face-to-face with a group of other like-minded people who are running after the same thing. So say yes to, to joining a group. Say, start a group, right? Or if you're already in a group, how about this? Just make it intentional and use some of the resources we have available so when you get together at your house and go, hey, let's just work through this together. Now listen, I, most of my life, I, I, I refuse to be in a small group. It's intimidating. I don't wanna share my crap with you. You'll just use it against me, right? It's intimidating. But listen, if you join a group, you're not marrying these people. If you don't, here's permission from your pastor. If you don't like it, quit. Go find another one. I've done it twice. I really, really, I, I, I've done this two times. I went, I tried to be a part of a small group. I'm, I'm in their living room like 10, 15 minutes, and then I go, these people are crazy. <laughs> right, right, and so I was like, uh, excuse me, where's the bathroom? And I, I went out the back door. I did that twice, and I never went back. So I get it, if you don't like it, just find a different one. Some people are crazy, right? Uh, so a, a couple weeks ago at, at our men's summit, uh, Rourke Denver, one of our speakers, who also attends our West campus, he tells a story. He was commander who ran Buzz out in Coronado for, for SEAL training, right? One night, they're in San Diego, and Rourke and some of his buddies were out at a bar, even though Rourke doesn't drink. But a dude comes up to him, and you can just see this in your mind, right, right? He goes, so you're a SEAL, huh? Rourke's like, well, yeah, I, I am. Well, I think I can kick your butt, right? And, and Rourke goes, well, maybe, maybe you can. The guy says, well, let's go out in the parking lot. Let's find out. Rourke said, okay, I'll go out there, but just so you know, these three guys are coming with me, so you'll get all four of us. And the guy goes, well, that, that's not fair. And Rourke said, I'm not looking for fair. I want to win. It's <laughs> a metaphor, right? I don't care how strong or how committed you think you are. One-on-one -on -one out there in the world is a matter of time until you get crushed. We, we don't do well on it. We weren't even supposed to live life on our own. Get in a group if you want the best chance of, uh, of winning. Because you, you, we're all gonna end up in a parking lot and we're gonna be there by ourselves, or somebody's gonna have our back. Get in a men's group, a women's group, a, a mixed group, a couple's group. A, we have all, all kinds of group, okay? So, so you gotta put yourself in a place like that. We'll tell you how to do that in a minute. Sacrifice number two, say yes to start giving or increasing your financial giving as a spiritual sacrifice or an act of worship. Now what? Why should you give to Flatirons? Let me tell you why not. 
Not because tithing is, because it's taught in the Bible, although it is, all right? For you don't know, tithing is the spiritual discipline of giving an increasing percentage of your income to the spiritual community that you are a part of to see God's work done in your own life and across the world continue and multiply. So that's taught in the Bible, but that's not why I'm saying you ought to give. How about this? And some of you heard this from the weird guy on TV. Don't give because if you give God $10, you'll get a $100 check in the mail. It's not true. Okay, I, tr- I tried, all right, so it's not true, right? How about this, not because Flatirons is really strapped for money and we need your cash. That's not it. I, I'll, I'll, say, I'll say this, this place doesn't run on magic Jesus fairy dust, right? I will say, I'll say this, Flatirons is 100% debt free. We owe no money to, to anyone, all right? This, and that's because of you all, all right? But we still have vision. We have a ministry vision, we have dreams, we have plans, we pay our staff, we pay utility bills, we pay health insurance, like every other organization about staff. I think we need to pay our staff better than we currently do. It's really hard to be in ministry and, and make a house payment in Colorado. You all feel that, you all feel that. That's another sermon, right? But we, we support missionaries and missionary partners across Colorado and the United States and across the world, and we're running after this next gen like no other church I've ever seen before, all right? I love what Flatirons spends the offerings on. I'm proud of it. I'll stand behind it 100%. That's why Robin and I give at least 10% of my gross income back to Flatirons every month. We're gonna give that back so that you can keep on running. So if those aren't the reasons, though, then why would you ever choose to give away money that at the end of the month you go, there's never enough money? You want me to give some away? Yeah, I I don't, I don't care. It's between you and God. How about this? Give as a spiritual sacrifice, right? Because it will cost you something when you give as an act of, of worship. It means you won't be able to do other things because you've chosen this. How about as evidence that your heart and therefore your, your, your wallet, your money, they're, they're aligned with what Jesus wants to do in this world through Flatirons, his church, your church that he's building you out of. Jesus said that what you give your money to is a value statement as to the things importance in your life. If God is using you to make, if God is using this place to make a positive spiritual and relational difference in your life, and I hear the stories every week. I think God saved my life through Flatirons. I think he made, got my sobriety through. He saved my daughter. He saved my marriage. He saved this. He saved this, all right? If, God, if there's some level of value to you, then give to what God is doing here and help us keep on building God's kingdom. You spend and you give money to stuff all week long. This has to bring some value or you wouldn't be here. So the answer can't be nothing. And you know what? I'm gonna include next gen in this, all right? All right, and this giving thing. See, hey, hey, students, listen. If you want to be considered a part of this church, then if you're a living stone, then join us. This isn't to your parents. Join us in what God is building up here through you. Give to this church. Give to the kind of church that in December set aside four and a half million dollars to take care of your generation. Right, you're not too young. You're part of the church today, so come on and join us. See, enough. I had to learn this the hard way. 16 years ago, when Flatirons hired me, I didn't tithe. <laughs> they didn't ask. I didn't volunteer. <laughs> anyway, um, but I was in debt. I didn't tell them that either. I had more debt, like college debt for my kids, credit card debt, car debt, house debt, all that. Right? I had more consumer debt than my yearly salary when I was hired here and no plan, right? But then Flatirons started growing and we needed to build a building, the one I'm now standing in, but I couldn't ask Flatirons people to do what I was willing to do myself. So one of my mantras is leaders go first. So I stood up very humbling weekend. I stood in front of the church and I confessed my sin of selfishness and greed and bad life and money management with what God had entrusted to me. And I pledged to you, my church, 
right? To not only begin to tithe, but also to climb out of debt at the same time. And if I didn't stick with my plan to do both, I would resign my position because I would not be a fit enough leader for, for this church. And that week I walked into Michael Kane, our CFO's uh, office, and I had a box, a literal box of Nelnet loans and credit card loans, and uh, it, it, was, it was a mess. I, I, I remember right after I moved here, my daughter had one more semester, and I called Nelnet to get another loan. They said, buddy, you have maxed out the system. And so I put a $9,000 cash advance on a 33% Discover card. Not, not a wise move, all right? But I took all that and I dumped it on Michael Kane's desk, and I said, help me. Help me figure this out. And over the next six, seven years, I climbed out of debt. At the same time, I started tithing. I made a plan, and I, and I did both, and God took that, and, and he blessed it. It is possible for you. And I say this all the time, every time I talk about giving. If you'll lean into giving for a month, six weeks, right? If at the end of that month or six weeks, you go like, there's no difference in my relationship with God. I haven't felt his presence any more than I did before. You call Michael Kane and we'll give it back. We'll give it back. Now, don't say, I gave a 1,000 cash. Mm. God sees and you'll die. So <laughs> it's happened. <laughs> Acts five, read it. But anyway, but um, so start giving or increase your giving. So sacrifice number three, say yes to finding a place to serve. I just wanna hit this real quick. A better way to say that would be as living stones who have been redeemed and forgiven by Christ, who are being built up into a spiritual building as a holy priesthood offering sacrifices to God, say yes to thinking like Christ, find a place to serve in his church, your church. If Christ is willing to serve you, then we have to have the same attitude and we have to be willing to serve one another in this church that he started, that he built, is building out of you and me together. That just makes sense. Now here's what I'm gonna do, all right? I'm gonna turn it over at all of our campuses. I'm gonna flip it to the campus pastors. So Heather, you can come on up here, all right? But how to say yes. But let me just talk to this. Some of you are going, this is my first time here and he wants me to give money. No, listen, all right, if you're new to this place, we even have something for you so that this can become come your church. So when I say say yes, I'm not saying can you do something. You're, you're saying yes to Jesus to becoming something. Jesus wants to use me and you together to build up his spiritual house, his church, where we can, his priests, worship him together and be part of what he's doing to change the world. That's the mission of this place. So say yes to that. Heather, come and join us. Campus pastors, come join us. Give it up. I hope you were so encouraged by today's message. Now, we don't want you to miss out on how you can say yes. We may not be in the same location, but we are on the same mission. So we wanna invite you to go to flatironschurch.com forward slash say yes, and there you'll have the opportunity to say yes to online giving and setting up a reoccurring gift to express your generosity. You'll have the opportunity to say yes to finding an online group and the opportunity to say yes to finding a place to serve in your local community. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next week.